Hi, and welcome to our podcast episode 5. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And I think we've got quite a lot to talk about updates-wise this week, Bo. Um, do you want to get started, or shall I? Uh, how about you get started this week? Okay, um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about was uh, health. Um, and now I know we, uh, we're we going to dedicate a whole show to this at some point, but um, I've been back on a bit of a health drive uh, the last, well, just over a week. And I uh, thought I'd like to talk about it because it's actually quite a big deal. Or it is to me in terms of uh, how much time it takes up and stuff. Um, in 2003, I, I lost um, near enough £25 over quite quite a, a large, large chunk of time. But I've uh, let that slip a lot this year and I've probably put on about another £5. But I've been uh, back in the groove the last uh, week or so and uh, putting a lot of effort into count my calories. I use my fitness pal. And um, it's nice doing it that way. I don't prescribe to any particular diet plan. I just literally just monitor my calorie intake. I do sometimes monitor the macros, you know, how much carbohydrates, how much sugar particularly I'm taking in, how much protein. But generally I just count the calories. And you just start to notice that if you do that, then you you kind of uh, edge towards all the healthier things anyway because... You can eat a plate full of salad and it doesn't actually cost you that many calories. It's like budgeting. Oh, that's what I find. So that's really cool. And I've been doing that for, I've been back on that for just over a week and doing fine. Right. Pleased about that. Um, I've been to the doctors last week. Um, I've been suffering with what I thought was sciatica for five to six weeks now, which has been a bit of a drag, um, in terms of exercising, but also sleeping. It's hard enough getting a decent amount of sleep when you're a parent anyway. And um, the doctor confirmed that I have sciatica. Um, it's not a lot I can do about it except take pills and stuff and hope it goes away. So that's what I'm doing with that at the minute. Um, but yeah, that's actually been quite a sort of affecting my life quite a lot over the last few weeks. So mm. I, I felt like I've made progress, so I wanted to talk about it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, other than that, I've been working on my domain drop catching solution a little bit. Uh, this isn't something I've talked about on the show before, and I've mentioned it to Bo a little bit, but uh, I don't think we've even talked about it that much. Uh, so um, back in, it was about 2009, I read a blog post, um, and the blog post was titled something like um, £200 for every reader per week. And it sounds really sort of link-baity, but I was familiar, already familiar with the blog post itself, uh, sorry, the blog itself and the, the guys who write for it. So I knew it wasn't, you know, trashy or uh, cheap, and uh, it was really, really caught my interest because I was, I'm always looking for little side things to make extra money, wheeling and dealing kind of things. And the um, the gist of the the blog post was basically to go to something like um, Demos, which is a the big internet directory. It's really old, but um, if you ever used Yahoo directory, it's powered by Demos. And you'd find some sort of business category and uh, look at the kind of products that they have on on their websites or, or in their demos descriptions. And then you'd go to a domain checker and see if whatever that product name was a, as a domain name was available. If it was, you'd do a little bit more research and then uh, register it and basically contact, then do a Google search for the same phrase and start contacting the companies to see if they wanted to buy it. Um, the example he gave was um, mobility, and uh, and what the product would be mobility walkers, 
I'm not sure what that would be for the states, but mobility would be for uh, people who can't get around as well. So they'll have, uh, I don't know, devices to help them walk. And uh, he, he did that. He registered it. So £6 for two years for a .co.uk domain name. And he ended up leasing that to somebody for £50 a month. Um, and that's within a with a couple of hours' work. And obviously that sounded quite quite good to me. Uh, so I jumped on the bandwagon a bit. And I think my first couple of sales brought in about £300 from laying out £12, effectively. So I was quite hooked at that point. But uh, they were the kind of the best ones I've found. And obviously it didn't come that easily. But I was already sort of into this game now and I uh, looked at domain drop catching now if people aren't familiar with uh, domain drop catching I don't know how it works for dot coms but if people don't renew a domain it usually goes into some sort of redemption period during which if that person who didn't renew it wanted to they could all they could get it back with before it goes to somebody else but after that redemption period it's just re-released to the world and anybody can get it now in the UK there is a 91-day redemption period. So if somebody doesn't renew a domain, you know when it's going to become available to the world, or you know the day that it's going to become available to the world. So people have uh, software systems that constantly poll the nominate, who is the registrar for UK domain names, poll the system to see if a domain name has become available yet. And if so, they try and register it. So I have a system that does this, and I've been doing it sort of on and off for quite some time and I'd almost forgotten about it. It's made me quite a bit of money in the past but I've just sort of, my interest has dwindled and making an effort to find domain names that are going to drop and become available. It just it doesn't interest me at the minute. So I've been working on a little booking form so that other people can book my software uh, to try and catch the domain names that they'd like. Uh, and I don't expect to make loads of money but I'm paying for the colo for the server, so it's costing me money. Not a lot. I think it cost me about £45 a quarter. Uh, and, of course, I've spent a considerable amount of time developing the software over time, and it's just sat there doing nothing. So I thought I'd try and make a little bit of money from it. Uh, so in my spare time, I've done a little bit of work on that over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so it be interesting to see once I get it up and see uh, how much business it actually generates. So, I mean... I could probably make a few hundred pounds a month, but it's and it's all autopilot, so uh, it's all all good fun. But um, that's that's pretty much it on that. Um, so yeah, there's only one other thing. Uh, my secret project that I might talk about next time we speak <laughs> uh, is completely stalled out. I've uh, I've just not had a lot of time for it, and. Uh, I'm sort of demotivated about it at the minute, but next week we're going to talk about I think we should talk about that, and uh, hopefully I might have done something, but we never know. Okay. So, yeah. That's cool. How about you? Well, you, you mentioned health. Uh, that, that wasn't really on my list of things to talk about today, but I actually went to the doctor today myself, and um, yeah, I, I'm needing to make some big changes in my life as well. Um, I think back in 2006... I lost 70 pounds, and since then, uh, almost all of that has come back, <laughs> um, and it's not something that I, I'm really very proud of, so I'm, I'm laughing out of shame more than anything, but yeah, it's it's something that 
um, I really need to get a handle back on. So um, I'll probably be doing some of the similar things to what you're talking about doing over the next, I don't know, rest of my life, I suppose. I mean, it's really important to stay on top of it. And, you know, I don't want to blame anybody like my wife, but um, anyone, I, 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 I get the feeling that it's a pretty common thing that uh, once you get married, once you have kids, it, it just gets harder. And, you know, when you're, when I was living alone, that was, it was pretty easy for me to radically change my, my life and make some big changes. And I've been struggling with it ever since we've been together pretty much. Um, it's just been slowly getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm, I'm at a point now where, you know, I need to stop making excuses and, you know, she's super supportive of me and every, and whatever I need to do to help try to make some changes. So that'll, that'll be good. But I, I definitely think that's something that we could probably talk about one whole episode. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. I do, even just what you've said there, there's so much I could say that relates to that. But yeah, if you want to save it for another episode, we'll believe we yeah. we'll cut off and <laughs> talk about something else. Yeah. So do you want to talk about um, conferences? Because that's um, a, we could both talk about that for a little, and then you can do your bit. Yeah, sure, we could do that. Um, or am I messing with your notes? No, 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 no. no. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So how how about I lead in by saying that the other thing I did today was um, Beck and I brought Luke to uh, get his first passport. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, because because we're going to London for Symphony Live London. <laughs> Yay. Uh, yeah. So we're we're doing the family family road trip to the conference thing. So we're pretty excited about that. That's that I think we found that out not long after our last episode uh, got recorded. So yeah, we've been sitting on that for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, super, isn't it? I'm really excited to meet yeah. uh, meet your family, and yeah. of course, excited to be speaking at the conference. So yeah, yeah. So you got selected as well, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yep. really pleased yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, so I, which which talks did you get selected for? Uh, the talk is going to be um, Moxon, not Stubbs, and then I can't quite remember the order, but I think it's fakes, dummies, or spies. I think. Um, so it's going to be mainly a talk about test doubles, but I don't think I can fill. 50 minutes just on testables and examples so i'm going to be going into um why you might use them a little bit more and the sort of uh, styles of testing that relate to them or how they might be used in particular styles of testing so uh, yeah i'm looking forward to it it's a it's a sort of talk idea i've, I've pitched them around a little bit and not got any any success but um finally some, someone's picked it up um i'm not surprised really because the guys who run symphony live are big on testing and software quality, um, so yeah, I'm excited about it. You're doing your stack a stack talk. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing the uh, decorating applications with Stack. Ah, uh, cool. Which, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. That's that's one I've been pitching for over a year now. Well, maybe not. Over, yeah, maybe over a year, about a year. So yeah, I'm excited that I finally get to uh, give that talk. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to doing some more stuff with the symphony community because i haven't been at any symphony related events since we met in portland so yeah it'll be nice to get involved and talk to more people from the symphony community again it's going to be really nice to see you and to meet your family as well um i'm going to bring my family down uh we can't i can't do much because we've got to be back up here for uh, uh, rebecca's sister's 40th but uh we're going to mm-hmm. come down uh 
and uh, we'll all get to hang out, which is going to be really cool. And you guys will get to see London as well. London's a really cool city. Um, it's um, been living in England. It's always somewhere I'm so glad that I can visit. I, I don't think I'd ever want to live there, but it's an amazing place uh, to visit, and it's huge, and there's something for everybody. And, you know, really is there. I'm sure you'll have a great time. Nice. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Uh, Beck's actually been there before. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, she went there for a short trip before we had met. Uh, she went with her sister, the sister that we're actually living with. Um, they they went there. I think it was like a spur-of-the-moment trip. Like they found tickets that were really cheap just randomly or something like that. And so they, they went. And I don't know. When she talks about it in my brain, uh, she spent three days there total, maybe less. <laughs> but I, I don't remember exactly how long it was. But it sounded like it was just like a, a quick trip and like, yeah, we got to see London and then had to come back home. So... Uh, so she keeps talking about it and wants to take to me all, to all these places that she saw. And so we're, we're really looking forward to it. Um, the, uh, the other symphony conference that I've been looking forward to was uh, Symphony Live New York. Um, because there hasn't been one in the States since Portland of last year. So it's been, that's going to be a good hour and a, a good year and a half between conferences. Hmm. And I was so bummed. They just released the, the dates and it's, uh, the day before my sister's wedding, so I'm not going. To, I'm I'm not even going to bother submitting, which just kills me, because uh, I would absolutely love to have another chance to go to a symphony live. You know, even if I'm not going to be speaking uh, in the states. So that was kind of a bummer to find that out. Yeah, I, I think uh, I don't think the dates suit me very well. I'm. I don't know why. I did. If I was going to do come across the states, I'd, I'd like to take, especially to New York, I'd like to take uh, the wife and the kids, and that won't work for Rebecca's job. But there's something else, uh, so I don't think I'll submit to that. Yeah, I did submit to PHP World and PHP Northwest, and got rejected from those. But I think you got accepted at Northwest, and I think you got accepted for a workshop. Oh, I got uh, I got rejected. World. Yeah, yeah, I got. Uh, rejected from PHP Northwest, but I did get accepted for PHP World, and I that that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, I got selected for two beginner talks. I know that we've kind of well, one they're both listed as beginner. Um, I think we talked about that in the past that you know there's a, a big need for beginners talks. So um, the the com uh, the tutorial session uh, is the managing dependencies with Composer. So I get to expand my current Composer. Uh, list of, of talks to a three-hour talk, uh, which is going to be more toward, more tutorial-based, I guess. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do with that, but I'm, I'm excited to have a chance to try. So um, so that's going to be a good one. That's uh, I think that's in Washington, D.C. is where PHP World is. Um, I think I had that listed here somewhere. Anyway, yeah, it's going to be at um, uh, PHP World. I think it's in November, maybe. Possibly November, um, and then I got accepted to talk uh, the or speak about uh, auto loading and namespaces. So I'm super excited about that talk. I keep trying to get people to pick that one up just because it's a lot of fun to give, and I really don't think a lot of people know about it. I, I think we already went over this quite a bit uh, in one of the other episodes, but I'm pretty excited that they decided to have me come speak about that. Um, I think it's a great topic. Lots of you know more people that better understand PSR zero and PSR four. Uh, I think it'll just be really good to have, uh, you know, beginners who don't really know that yet being able to use it or, or stuck using older versions of Drupal or something like that, who are trying to get into, you know, 
uh, Drupal 8 or the likes where like all of a sudden everything is namespace and everything is using composer and they aren't going to know what it's about because they're, they, they haven't used it. So, uh, I think it's going to be really good. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I think, uh, we did discuss it on the show and I, I yeah. think it's really cool that it got picked up. Yeah. And, yeah, and that... um, just on what, what you said about the beginning things, um, did you see the stuff on Twitter, a few, few people talking about a, an expert level PHP conference? Yeah, I did. I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it. I, it's, I think uh, my sort of opinion has been if you really want to learn some more expert level things, you probably don't want to be going to a PHP conference. Um, but then maybe they could pull it off and do some really experty things. But the chances are those experty things aren't going to be all that PHP related anyway. And you're back to being at a non PHP conference, I think. I'm not too sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have a hard time understanding what an expert PHP conference would be because I don't know where, where someone's drawing the line, like some arbitrary line between advanced and expert. And, you know, I think they're, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know where you draw that line. These bigger conferences have all the way from auto loading and namespaces and, and getting started with PHP all the way up to, you know, what I would consider pretty advanced topics. So I don't know where, what, what the threshold is to being, okay, now you're talking expert level. Yeah. Like expert level what? Expert level architecture, expert level I know every single function in PHP and exactly how to use it and the internals behind it. Does that make it expert? I I don't know. Maybe maybe you have a better idea of what they mean by expert. I mean I'm trying to recall the Twitter thread, but I mean one of the things they I remember seeing huge scale, which uh is interesting but rarely applicable and uh, to a lot of people anyway. And the bottom line is when we do when you do see things at huge scale, they branch out into so many different things, doing so many different things. It's very yeah. ir- irrelevant to PHP, I think. Writing extensions, um, I don't know how many people yeah, are I doing mean, that kind of thing now. Um, you know, and I don't see that as expert level either. You know, I mean, you're doing something specific. It it just happens to be you're writing C, I guess, instead of PHP. But then again, it's not PHP anymore. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I, I, I'm not really sure of what sort of um, problems people come across to which they would turn to writing an extension to overcome, if you see what I mean. If you're writing an extension yeah. to interface with some uh, Clib, then yeah, I, fine, I understand. But to be honest, um, I can't imagine myself ever doing it. But yeah, so I don't know. It's I, just it was interesting to see what I mean. I think. Um, Joe, because uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know his name. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't pronounce his name. I know his name. I think he's gonna he was gonna put some stuff together and have a have a band about with some ideas. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. So I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, definitely, definitely interesting. I don't know if it's the kind of thing that could work or will work. We'll just have to see. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think the interesting thing will be to see how it looks different than another conference. And, you know, is it actually going to feel different? Is it going to look different? Are you going to be able to look at the topics and say, oh, wow, this is definitely, you know, an expert level conference. And then how many people are going to go to it? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, if it's successful and it's interesting and it's useful to the community, I think that that'll be good. Um, I, it just doesn't. I, I had a hard time seeing the need or seeing the difference because the conferences that I've been to, I mean, the, the, the topics are all over the place. 
And I don't, I didn't see anything that they talked about specifically as being expert level as actually being expert level. They just look like additional topics that people either aren't submitting or aren't getting selected at other conferences. And and maybe that's, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe they had submitted a bunch of expert level topics and they just never get picked. I don't know. Um, well, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I mean, I, I've talked about it before, how I, 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 I find it hard to get interested in some of the more beginner topics or the intermediate topics. And I'm always trying to, I think it's because I'm trying to learn myself and I try to turn that learning into teaching others. And so I end up targeting fairly narrow or niche or more advanced talk proposals, which means there's yeah. a, a smaller chance of them getting accepted. Yeah. So maybe that, that you know, that... I can see that. So maybe that's why they've, uh, They've brought it up. Maybe. I think the other thing they complained about was the, the Star DD talks. I think that was the other thing that they took objection to. You know what? I, like, the thing is that I don't even see, uh, I don't even think, even think with, the problem is it, the started DD talks aren't a problem. It's the beginner start DD talks for me. Uh, we see plenty of beginner TDD, beginner BDD, beginner DDD stuff, but I don't see many, you know, adv- more advanced of those kinds of things. I I don't want to go to a testing talk and see them do the bank account example ever again. And I'm sure, but there are, don't get me wrong, there are people who do need to see that because there are some people who haven't learned it yet and they're beginners. But then we don't seem to take it the extra step further in there or, for, or a lot of PHP conferences anyway. So I think to say no star DD stuff would be silly, especially as I think we've talked about it before. We think DDD is picking up a lot of steam in the PHP community. And I think um, with people like uh, Matthias uh, that we talked about, Matthias, um, he's going to be doing more and more talks on these topics, I'm quite sure. And hopefully they'll they'll start getting more and more advanced because I've seen already seen uh, two or three of his they're all really good uh, and you'd like to think that you know as as a community we get more and more into this stuff then we start building up to do more and more advanced topics um, mm-hmm. so to say to rule it out like that as non-expert I think is a bit yeah a bit elitist maybe I don't know actually um, I, th- I think I think he's giving a, a DDD uh, workshop or tutorial at Symphony Live. So I'm actually I'm looking forward to that. I, I wrote them and asked if I would get to go to that as a speaker, and they said yes. So that is cool. The, the workshop day. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, if for no other reason than to see something that he's done in person. So that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that would make it worthwhile. Me, uh, I didn't realize we could hang around that day. Uh, it'd be worth yeah. make it worthwhile me getting on a train out of the doors so I can get there early. Yeah. You you might double check. Um, oh yeah, I, definitely. I won't just show yeah. up. <laughs> I mean, I I I wrote them an email and said, "Hey, do I get to go to that as a speaker?" And they said, "Yes, you can go to that." So I don't know if it's like a all the speakers get to go to it. Um, I think that was. I think at Symphony Live Portland, we weren't allowed to, like we weren't allowed to go to the tutorial day or something like that. I don't remember. I don't know. I, anyway, to, to be honest, I had so much work to do anyway, preparing my talk. Yeah. So. So, yeah. so not this time though I'm going to be fully prepared so um, sort, of, sort of related to this topic um, uh, Madison PHP last year had their first conference um, and 
I remembered this because I, I need to mention that their call for papers is open now. So if anyone is listening and wants to submit talks for Madison PHP's second ever Madison PHP conference, uh, that call for papers is open, I think, until next week this time. Um, so I don't know when this episode will get posted, but uh, I think it's open until the 21st or 20th or something like that. So uh, hopefully we'll get a lot more people from further away uh, to come in for that. But last year, um, they're... They had two tracks last year. They had the uh, beginner PHP track, and then they had the, I think they called it the professional track, which was intended for uh, like higher level, more advanced topics. And my talk was up against Beth's talk. Um, her talk was uh, getting started with PHP. It was the very first talk in the morning. Um, and my first talk uh, was the uh, Silex service providers and controller providers talk. It was my first one-star joined-in review, and it was because, specifically, my talk was too focused on Silex. And uh, they even said in the comment, you know, this is probably the problem with the organizers for scheduling a super generic PHP talk up against a very highly focused framework-specific PHP talk. But then they gave me a one-star. It's like, well, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's thanks. <laughs> yeah. But it just reminded me that, um, you know, everyone's idea of advanced and super specific is different. And sometimes it can be pretty hard for a conference, even if they try to aim for satisfying both styles of or both target audiences of, of the, the more advanced users and the, the newer users. It can be really hard because you end up putting people in that position where you don't want to sit learning about the get super global or have the other option be some you know, super complex, specific laziness in pimple uh, targeted talk. It just, it, it can be hard for conference organizers. So I, I hope if they do create an expert level conference that it's successful. But we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. Speaking of pimple, uh, I pinged you to point you at the GitHub uh, issues. Uh, as first yeah. discussed on that podcast episode, <laughs> what was it for? Maybe. Yeah, episode four. Uh, they, Fabian uh, said that he's going to uh, tag Pimple 3.0 uh, in the not-too-distant future. He said he was going to do it that day, but he didn't. So uh, Didn't happen. We'll, we'll need to poke him a little bit. But uh, yeah. it's to get around an issue with uh, an incompatibility with the C extension that we mentioned, and that's going to be really cool. So it means that we can start pushing on Silex 2.0, I think, uh, yeah. to get it out the door. That'd be cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I went in to give a little plus one on that, so... That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So um, as far as talks go, um, I wanted to mention that I uh, got to talk at Fox Cities PHP last week. Um, my friends up in Appleton, uh, I wrote them and asked them if they would like to have someone come up and talk. And they wanted me to do the, uh, uh, the semantic versioning and stability composer talk. So that was a lot of fun. I got to go up there and I think there were maybe... 10 people. Um, I, I was a little surprised because a lot of times user groups are pretty either really mixed or very junior, but apparently their their group is pretty small, but mostly advanced users. So um, that was a lot of fun. Um, it was a little weird. Uh, 
I had one of one of the people actually said that they had seen my talk at Midwest PHP or seen me talk at Midwest PHP. And I do this weird thing when I'm done with a talk where I'm like, okay, um, you can go if you want to, but if you have questions, I'm happy to talk more. And he said that he could see visibly the crowd was kind of confused as to what to do next. Like, okay, so do we get to go now or uh, do I have to sit? Uh, what's the deal? And I, I don't know. I guess I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. I thought, I, I usually think it's pretty clear that, Hey, I'm done. The, the, the questions, you know, the question slide is up. If you want to ask questions, great. I'm happy to talk as long as you want. Otherwise, if you want to go, go ahead and go. Um, and I'm all, and he also mentioned it was because it was the last talk before the party, like the, one of the evening party things. And I, it got me thinking that almost all of my talks have been the last slot. So I guess I've just gotten used to doing that <laughs> where it's like, okay, well the keynote's happening in like two minutes because or for whatever reason, I'm, I'm like literally the last slot before the keynote or the last slot before the end of the day where everyone goes to the party. So I'm not in a rush. <laughs> so like, um, and I think that that probably gives the impression that either I, I talk too long or I go over my slot or whatever, but I just figure you know, people are going to ask questions anyway, you know, to other talks, you know, I'll just keep asking. Anyway, I thought it was pretty funny. Um, someone called me out on that and said, yeah, keep doing this. And it confuses people. Um, yeah, so I, I ended up back. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, you got the last slot at Symphony Live London as well, right? Um, I think I do. Yeah. And I had the, I think I had the last slot at, um, well, I had a Midwest PHP. Um, I definitely had it at Sunshine PHP. I don't remember how Lone Star went. I feel like Lone Star, I didn't have the last slot there, but pretty frequently, it seems like I'll end up being the last slot. So, um, I also ended up talking about other things because I just kind of like sat up there and I'm like, okay, does anyone have any other questions? And then, then um, someone opened the can of worms about Sculpin. So I talked about Sculpin for about 15 minutes. And then when I got done, I said, all right, well, I can talk about whatever or we can be done now. And someone said, oh, you said earlier you didn't really like to use Symphony full stack, but you use Symphony. How's that work? So then I kind of went off for about another 15 or 20 minutes on Symphony bundles and how I think they're evil, um, mostly because it results in people writing Symphony bundles when they could be writing decoupled packages and then just using the bundles as glue you know, people end up writing a symphony bundle that has all of the code in it. Um, so I, I, I did that. And so anyway, it was, it kind of turned into this weird thing where I ended up just talking for an extra half hour, 45 minutes about random topics. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, I don't know. I, I think I need to be careful not to do that in the future. It was a lot of fun and apparently they all liked it, but at, afterwards I felt really awkward. Like, ah, what did I just do? <laughs> well, I think uh, the user groups, uh, I think that goes down pretty well. Um, yeah. The user groups I've been to, the pressure usually comes from the sort of um, the establishment that's lent them the room or something in terms of timing and whatnot. So if if if, if they're happy to have you there and keep talking, then I I definitely as a participant, well, or an attendee would not be complaining. So uh, I I won't worry nice. too much about it. Yeah. It, it was just awkward. I, I just thought about it afterwards. Like, it seemed like I haven't been to a lot of user groups where any, anything like that's happened. So I was like, all right. It just was something I thought I would mention because it seemed out of the ordinary. So, um, so the venue, uh, the venue was actually the Avenue HQ. It's the first co-working space that I've ever been to. I think we've 
talked about that before that I'm relatively new to co-working. Um, and there's a cool group of people out of there uh, working. F- uh, they work for a company called Smart Social Media. Uh, it's Ross Larson, Ben Benesh, Matthew Peterson. And there's a fourth person. I can't remember what his name was necessarily. But um, yeah, so they, they, they're a PHP shop and um, they've moved from a legacy PHP application to um, half legacy, half Silex. And then they jumped the entire project all the way to Symphony 2 full stack. So, um, you know, they made up a good third of the, of the user group. So it was a lot of fun talking with them and, you know, I've, I've been talking to them off and on. Um, the, the one person, I, I don't know if I ever told you this story. Uh, did I tell you about the, the first person I met, uh, offline that uses Sculpin? You mentioned it, but I can't remember. Didn't you bump into them and they told you they were yeah. using Sculpin so, and you were like, uh, I wrote that. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, Ben Banesh. Uh, was was one of these three people there that night, um, and yeah. So for 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 everybody else's uh, benefit, um, it was my very first time at a co working space. I walk in, I'm like, hey, how's it going? I met these people, and this this guy walked out and shook my hand and said, oh, I'm Ben, blah blah blah. So I think he gave me his business card or something like that, uh, and he said that he did PHP. Um, I was like, oh, cool. So I like took his business card and I googled him and found him on Twitter, and his Twitter linked to his website and. I pull up his website and it looks very familiar and I didn't, I was like, why does this look so familiar? What it, I don't get it. And then, um, I realized it was basically source Maven. It was source Maven, Maven's template. I'm like, wow, he must like, did he see my template and really like it? And I thought, wait, he would have had to port that to something else unless he's using Sculpin. So then I, <laughs> I found him on GitHub and sure enough found his website and it was basically a fork of source Maven's website running Sculpin. So, I walk in. I was like, "Hey, I uh, checked out your website." I said, uh, "Are you using Sculpin?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm using Sculpin." I'm like, "I wrote that." <laughs> his eyes got big. He's like, "Really? You wrote that?" I'm like, "Yeah." So he, he assumed I was, you know, from somewhere else, completely, you know, far, far away, and wouldn't be some random guy walking into a co-working space on, you know, on a Wednesday. So yeah, it was kind of this weird little small world thing. So that was, that was my first real world. Uh, finding of someone who's using Sculpin that I had hadn't known beforehand, or hadn't met online, so that was pretty cool. Uh, there was actually someone who showed up uh, at the the meetup from Green Bay, and uh, we went around and introduced everybody. And when he introduced himself, I think his name was France Francois. No, oh, ah. I hate it when I do that. I can't remember his name started with an F. I'll have to look it up. I can put it on the the, the list. But he said, "Yeah, I'm a Drupal seven developer," and um, uh, so I'm getting interested in Drupal 8, and so I knew that um, all of that uses Sculpin, or not, uses composers, so I kind of wanted to get in on that, uh, learn a little bit about more about that, so I thought I'd come all the way over. Plus, I'm a heavy Sculpin user, because Sculpin's really big in the Drupal community, and I figured it would be great to come, you know, see Botox since he wrote Sculpin, and I'm like, what? So there were, like, people who came and, like, knew that I had done Sculpin, so there was this weird little small world thing up in up in Appleton, the Appleton area. So it was kind of cool. I wish I'd had a chance to talk to him more. Um, so I, I need to remember to follow up with him with an email, but yeah, so I'm learning that Sculpin is really big in Drupal communities, which I think is partially due to the fact that it's, uh, all based on Twig. So I know that Palantir, um, has been pushing it a little bit here and there, but apparently it's like real, like whatever message they're sending out, it's really taking hold. So, um, I, I think that's I'm, pretty cool. I remember reading a blog post that Larry did. I'm pretty sure about yeah. Sculpin. 
I thought at the time I thought, oh, that's a nice little bit of uh, publicity and uh, yeah, could be a marketing for you. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool that people are using it. That's what you want, right? Isn't it? That's why that's why we yep. write these things. Yep. Yeah. So it was pretty exciting to to hear more people using Sculpin and stuff like that. So that was cool. Just uh, um, you mentioned co-working spaces, and one of the things I mentioned that I'd like to try at some point. I have taken a small baby step towards that. I actually acquired a second car for the family. Uh, it's a really oh. hunk of junk, but it was it was uh, 350 quid. It was like, you know, offered to me they were going to scrap it, and I thought, well, you know. And then within a week, it had broken down, um, <laughs> which, which is rubbish. Uh, but I did actually manage to fix it myself, and I'm always proud when I managed to do some sort of... Um, physical engineering as it were i mean it wasn't a big deal but uh, i had to do quite a bit of uh, googling to try and work out what the problem was and um strangely enough the the sort of component that was a problem uh, one of the things you can buy is a blanking plate for it so it's a it was an easy air valve was a problem and uh one of the best ways to deal with this problem is to just take the thing off and then screw a plate over the hole that you've left <laughs> I'll leave it that way. Um might slightly increase my CO two emissions, but uh I can live with that as long as the car's running. So that's cool. Nice. I've this is I've actually been fixing a few real world things. Uh, I, I always do this. I, I sort of think about some updates and leave write them down and then forget things. Uh and okay. I also fix the shower as well, that's all done. I've I've all managed right. to get okay. that done in the last couple of it. Nice. Um I don't know if you've got anything else, but uh, do you have any? Um, do we have any podcast updates? Do we have any feedback last yeah. week? Yeah, I was gonna do those. <clears throat> yeah, I was gonna do those earlier, and um, I don't know if they'll be out of order now. But uh, Chuck Reeves, uh, aka Manchuck, uh, listened to I think episode two. Um, he uh, left us a comment on our blog uh, along with the gist of his. Uh, he's a pre-commit hook that does um, PHP MD and PHP CS and uh, some sort of linter um, for Windows. So if we have Windows users who want to do something like this with Git, uh, he has a pretty nice uh, gist on there. So I'll, I'll link that, make sure that's on the, the show notes. Um, and uh, a friend of mine from here in Madison um, heard me talking about whiteboards and uh Gave me the uh, gave me a link to Lowe's for picking up um, what are they? They're they're basically high gloss panels. Uh, they're three foot by seven foot panels for like fourteen dollars. Uh, so I went and checked the link, and sure enough, a bunch of people had said, "Yeah, this works great for a dry erase board, uh, a dry erase board on the cheap, and you know all these different things." And I know that dry erase boards are really super expensive. So, you know, if I can get something that works even reasonably well for $14 that is that big, I think that's going to be awesome. So, uh, I think his, uh, his Twitter handle is TinyJason. So, yeah, so I wanted to give a shout out to, to people who comment in some way, uh, on our podcast, even if it's using back channels. So if, if you ever send us an email or whatever, you know, we'll try to, try to shout, shout, do a shout out online. You've uh, just given me an idea. I, in my office, I actually have a, Sort of a wardrobe with a glossy, uh, glossy front. I've never really given it any thoughts to whether it'd work or not. I'm just going to scoop back mm. and see. <laughs> nice. It works quite nicely. I don't know. 
I wouldn't want to leave anything on there for too long. I suppose I should... Oh, miles away from the mic. Yeah. I wouldn't want to leave anything yes. on there for too long, but I might give it a try in the corner because that would actually give me really, really big space to... Uh, cool. To... to yeah. Shot well, down. One of the comments... Not. Yeah, one of the comments was if you actually... Like, you can actually get the dry erase solution. Um, so you could get that if that makes it easier. Uh, the Oh, so actually... Uh, a life hack tip. <laughs> um, I found this out a while ago. Uh, as I mentioned, Beck likes to organize things for me. And sometimes it, it frustrates me because she wants to write something down on a whiteboard. And it's like, yeah, let's go write these down. I'm like, I just want it in my head. Um, anyway, so this particular night was really frustrating. Um, and I like to laugh. At, I like to laugh about it now because it wasn't too bad. She took one of my little portable whiteboards and uh, sat down and proceeded to write the first word on the board. And I was like, that's wrong. Whatever it was she was writing was wrong. So she, she went to erase it and nothing erased. And she had picked up or I had handed her a permanent marker. <laughs> so uh, like instantly we're like, oh, so I, I was already kind of cr- grumpy and crabby as I, I often get. Um, unfortunately, she doesn't deserve it, but I do get grumpy and crabby about these things sometimes. I just made it like 10 times worse because now I have permanent marker all over my it wasn't even all over. It was just in one corner, but it, it might as well have been ruined as far as I was concerned. I kind of stomped off. Um, anyway, so um, I found out that if you have permanent marker on a whiteboard and you write over it, like completely cover it with dry erase marker and leave it for like 10 seconds and then you wipe it off, it comes off. No way. <laughs> it worked. It worked. And uh, yeah, so I've... Uh, I, I, I wouldn't always rely on that, but yeah, it, it totally worked. You know, it was like 10 minutes later, it was already dry and we did, and I tried it and sure enough, it came right off. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to try this and confirm for you this in the next episode. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, yeah, don't, don't, don't take our word for it until Dave double checks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, Jason also offered up his truck for me to help me move slash buy whiteboards. So that was awesome. So that thank you. Awesome that jason um speaking of moving um we have we have our lease signed um i would say this this last weekend we packed about 95 percent of our stuff in boxes and moved it to our storage unit so um short of the things that i need like my desk and some random junk on the top of it because there's always random junk on the top of it um and a couple of weird pieces of furniture uh, we're going to be living out of suitcases for the next two or three weeks. So we're, we are good to go. We're going back to North Dakota again for another week. Um, and then we might spend uh, another couple of days or a week in Appleton on the way back. So uh, we're leaving on Saturday. And yeah, we might not come back here until it's time for us to move. So we're we're looking forward to that. That's going to be pretty awesome. I got some uh, feedback from the podcast. Oh yeah, I want to say, yeah, um, a chap called uh, Marcelo. He emailed me. Uh, he found my blog while looking for some comparisons of PHP Unit and PHP Spec. I don't think I have any posts on that, but I probably mentioned the two in the same post at some point. And he started reading my blog, which is always nice to land on it. And then, uh, then he saw that I did a podcast. He started listening to our podcast. And he said he was enjoying it. Um, and he'd actually, he'd actually emailed me to see if I was interested in, um, in pairing with him because, um, he's, he wants to do, start doing some open source stuff. Um, and 
I said actually I would be interested because he uses Vim, he uses PHP and Ruby, and uh, I said I would be interested, but I just don't have the time now. I think um, I'm already doing the PHP mentoring thing, and this podcast is probably taking up probably five to six hours every couple of weeks of our time, and I just don't think I could commit to it. But I did say that I would mention him on the podcast just in case one of our millions of listeners wanted to get in touch with him. Um, his name was Marcella, and I, I want to say Jakobson, Jakobus, but I'm not partic- actually sure where he's from. Uh, but his GitHub handle is MJACOBUS, and you can probably check him out on there and get his email address. And um, he might, I think if you check his blog as well, which might be linked from GitHub, I don't know, he had a post explaining his situation that he's looking to get into open source. And he was hoping to sort of do it uh, by pair programming. I think that's a cool way of doing it. So I just wanted to mention that. Have we had any uh, iTunes reviews? Uh, yeah, no new iTunes reviews. Ah. Uh, we haven't had a lot of uh, newsletter subscribers either. So if you're listening and want to uh, review us on iTunes, you should do that. And also join our newsletter because we send super awesome stuff there, like Dave's super awesome voicemail program that hasn't been used yet. Been used yet. Devastating. <sighs> If we don't get any iTunes five star reviews or voicemails in the b- before the next episode, I might quit. I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm really surprised actually. I thought that someone would jump on top of that, but I, I actually expected uh, pranks. If I'm honest, I just assumed yeah, some of my old my old work buddies would have been sending us awful messages, but uh, maybe I'm yeah, inviting that now. But yeah, Let's see. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, uh, somewhat related to moving and the whiteboards is the other thing I'm super excited about that I realized is I want to get a good mic stand because I don't, you, you can't see what I have to deal with here, but yeah, I'm looking forward to getting a new mic stand, getting a permanent place where this is where I record and I'll just make sure this is where I record from now on and have a good mic stand and that'll be pretty awesome. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm gonna have to invest in a new microphone. This one, it's really a nice little thing, but it's picking up way too much noise, I think. And I broke my headphones. Uh, I don't even know how. Uh, so maybe I didn't break them. Maybe one of my rascal kids broke them. Uh, but I well, that's two pairs of headphones I broke. I broke my I b- broke my big ones, um, which I don't use for recording anyway because they're um, open back and they leak a little bit too much. But I broke my in-ear ones as well. I don't know how. So I'm in the market for some new ones. I might get some big cans uh, that I can use for listening to music loudly without bothering people uh, and for recording. But I'll have to wait and see. See what's in the budget. Yeah. Yeah, listening to... Um, like I, I was pretty happy with the with the mic that I purchased. But in listening to like some of the early edits of the podcast... Uh, your mic doesn't sound that bad. It sounds really good to me, whereas mine sounds weird and, I don't know, it's it's too unidirectional maybe, so if I'm just kind of off-center just enough, it's I feel like it gets quiet randomly more than yours does, probably just because I'm moving around a bit. So I, I'm hoping a mic stand helps fix that, but I almost feel like my onboard mic on my MacBook might be better. Well, I I, uh, I have to do quite a lot of work to get the mine sounding, well, not a lot of work, but a lot of fiddling to get mine sounding right. Yeah. Get rid of the noise and then without damaging the uh, the sound quality too much. Um, but like I say, I mean, if you, because you've been processing your audio track and sending it over to me, haven't you? If you wanted me to have a go, 
at your audio track because I have got significantly better in just the four episodes that we've uh, released. Uh, I, I'm, I can notice the difference uh, when I'm actually fiddling with the knobs and the dials. Uh, yeah. So I can always have a, maybe, have, a, have a look. Yeah, maybe I'll just start sending you the raw data and not doing that. Oh, that's the other thing. Dave does all of the audio processing, which is awesome. He's uh, He takes care of all of that, so I don't have to worry about it. So all I have to do is sit there and say, is it done yet? Is it done yet? <laughs> Meanwhile, Dave's the one that actually has to do the work. So, Well, I mean, based on what I've learned so far, I've actually been making some work for myself, um, just in the way I was using some of the tools and changing some of the settings has uh, actually made it not only sound better, but also less work. Um, occasionally, cool. I was amplifying noise when I obviously we don't want to do that, which meant that I was cutting it out and quietening those down in uh, in the in the later stages of the post production. So, anyway, we don't want to talk about we don't want to talk too much meta. Um, but we are thing I want- we are to uh, halfway to the goal for this episode, yes. right? That's cool. Yes, episode five. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I, I have, I still have a few updates. Uh, I warned Dave beforehand that I had a lot of updates and a lot of notes. So it's not um, a problem. Um, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I haven't actually talked about my day job at all. There's not a lot I could talk about. There are a few, there are a few things. I'm terrible at yeah. getting ready for these updates. Go on. You go, you do yep. yours. <laughs> all right. So, um, I really wanted to, to make sure and pitch, uh, my Nomad PHP talk. Uh, it's coming up on July 24th, which is, 10 days from now, which is going to be awesome. And it's uh, it's the Composer Semantic Versioning a Stability Demystified talk. Um, yeah, so it's my first Nomad PHP. Uh, I talked to Igor the other day on IRC um, just to sort of get, see if I could get some advice to help get prepared for it. Um, because from, from everything that I've read or kind of heard people talk about, uh, it's a very weird experience uh, because it's not like giving a normal talk. Uh, because you don't get any feedback, like no real-time feedback at all. So uh, I just kind of wanted to get his impression and sort of like how'd it work. And um, it wasn't very comforting because he basically said that uh, it was very uncomfortable and he hated it. I'm yeah. paraphrasing and probably putting some words in his mouth, but I didn't get any real feedback as to how it's supposed to work. Just that he didn't think that it was a not that he didn't think it was a lot of fun, just that it was so different and it was very difficult to try and try and deal with so well well what you said you'd heard about the no real-time feedback Mm -hmm. was exactly what igor said to me i think maybe two or three days after uh after he delivered his nomad php talk uh Mm -hmm. so yeah obviously it's quite a common thing yeah but uh, i i it sounded like he um it sounded like after his talk i thought it sounded like he talked for like three hours like or like his talk went really long somehow, like a lot of questions or something like that. Yeah, I think uh, I think he was, you know, without the time constraints of a normal conference, he was. Igor's usually quite happy to talk about things, isn't he? And I think uh, yeah. he had some sort of uh, interesting questions come up in the IRC channel and such. So uh, he just kept mm-hmm. waffling. Uh, nice. Uh, you're on the EU chapter, isn't it? You should mention that because yes, time yes, zones. I would be on the EU chapter. Um, I actually. Ask them to confirm the the timing. I think it's, uh, I think it's the I think it's eleven o'clock in the evening, which is one o'clock here in the states. So it's going to be one o'clock in the afternoon if you're in the U.S. Um, let me actually pull it up since since I'm talking about it, just so that 
people don't have to look at the show notes if they don't need to. Uh, oh, also, I should point out that um, I've spent a lot of time on my website uh, getting my talks online. So if you go to bow.io slash talks, uh, you can see a list of all my upcoming talks and whatnot. Um, yeah, so... While's, uh, while Bo's looking at that, if you're not familiar with Nomad PHP, go look it up. It's uh, kind of like a distributed uh, user group. Um, so people deliver talks uh, via... Um, is it... Do they actually use Google Hangouts or, or some kind of tool along those lines? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know which tool it is, actually. And that, that was one of my open questions to them that I haven't heard back on is... What the what the technology stack looks like. So. Yeah, but yeah, it's quite cool, and, and there's a nice little community. But you can get in the IRC channel. There's lots of chat goes on during the talk, lots of questions and stuff. Uh, I haven't actually attended any of the talks. I've only I've jumped into the IRC channel and then jumped out because it's usually my bedtime. Uh, but I have downloaded a couple of the talks after the fact and then uh, watched those. Yeah, so the talk is on July 24th at 20 CEST. So I guess that's 10 o'clock. No, 8 o'clock. See, I hate math. I hate oh, yeah. date math. 8 o'clock. <laughs> date, date math. Yeah. So 20 CEST, which is 8 o'clock p.m. Um, or 11 o'clock uh, in the morning if you are on the west coast of the United States. So, yeah. It should be good. It's going to be 1 o'clock p.m. my time, so just after lunch on July 24th. So, so I'm looking forward to that. I'd love to, to find out that I ended up getting a lot of a lot of uh, attendees, so that'll be a lot of fun. Do you know what? You just made me realize I forgot something. So this is the first time we're recording in your afternoon and my mm-hmm. evening, and uh, I was actually thinking, oh, I can sit down with a glass of whiskey while we talk, and I forgot to get myself a glass of whiskey. <laughs> Would you like to go get a la- glass of whiskey? No, no, no. We're recording now, and to be honest, I probably can't afford the calories. Um, <laughs> my my nice. fitness pal will be uh, telling Upset me about off. that. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I have a couple of I have I have three more updates, and then one question for you that might lead into we could talk about the rest of the stuff we want to talk about. Yeah, sure. Uh, one. Uh, one thing that I've been uh, looking at over the last couple of weeks is the fact, I think I even alluded to it in the last talk or the last episode, that I feel like I've just been putting out fires and um, I feel like I'm always kind of basically playing catch up and not getting anything done. Um, so I'm going to try and do two things with that. Um, one is that I'm going to try and set aside whole days for projects instead of trying to mix stuff in throughout the, throughout the day um, or throughout the week even. Uh, especially with my, my startup project in Seattle, I'm going to start dedicating two full days to that, which I'm supposed to be doing anyway. It's just that I didn't have it on two specific days. It was just sort of throughout the week. Like people would ask me questions and I spend, you know, an hour and a half on something and then hour and a half later in the day on it and then two hours the next day and then the next day, nothing. Um, and I just felt like I wasn't getting anything done for anyone. So, um, I'm going to start setting aside whole days for projects and see how that goes. You know, some days are, you know, there's some projects that don't take a whole day. So uh, those days I'm going to try and stack things in bigger chunks of time rather than trying to just, you know, squeeze in 30 minutes here and an hour there. Um, And another thing I want to try is something that um, Joel Claremont uh, from Milwaukee, uh, I heard him mention this one day that I don't know if it's something he does intentionally because someone told him to, or not told him to, but something that he learned 
as a habit. Uh, but he mentioned trying to do two billable hours every morning as the first thing he does, as opposed to anything else. Um, so I'm, I, I sort of experimented with that a little bit last week. And I was a success, I was successful, I think, two or three out of five days. And it really did seem like it made a big difference. Um, just to, you know, whatever else I did in the day then, I was, I was happy about, <laughs> uh, it's just that, you know, when five o'clock, six o'clock rolls around and if I haven't done anything that looks like it's going to have uh, made me any money, because that's really what I should be going toward pretty much every day. Um, I, I should be trying to make some income off the consulting, um, other than the days that I'm dedicating to the, to the startup. Um, so yeah, I think that that's going to be pretty useful. So that's, that's another thing I'm going to try and do. So I'll, maybe next episode, I'll follow up on that and just see, see how many days of, of each week, uh, that I should have done this, that I've actually been able to, and try to get some accountability there, uh, at least with you and me, um, to how successful I'm on that. So, um, the other thing was, I wanted to follow up a little bit on the event sourcing project. Um, uh, since we talked about it last week, yeah, I, I was listening to that and I got, I was really excited about that. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Listening to the episode again. Um, we, we listened, uh, we listened to it on the, the long drive to the fishing trip, uh, into the middle of nowhere in Montana. And, um, sadly Beck's eyes sort of glazed over. Um, she has no idea what event sourcing is and why it needs to be so complicated. And, uh, she had this wonderful idea for, like, I told her that, you know, deleting things can be a problem and all those other things. She said, wait, why is deleting things a problem? And I said, well, you know, cause it's, you know, I kind of tried to explain that, you know, you don't have to do delete right away because you may not need it or whatever. And she said, well, there's a delete key on the keyboard. <laughs> so she's like, this should be really easy. There's already a key on the keyboard that says delete. And, um, I think she's, I, I'm almost positive that she was intentionally being funny. Uh, but she, she's asked me a few times, have you told anyone my delete idea yet? And so she'll be excited to find out that I mentioned it here. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, I was really excited about it. Um, since then, I have spent... Um, uh, I actually ported a whole project over to uh, event-centric uh, using, um, using when aggregates and domain events... Um, and at the time there was no event store. So the bulk of my time on my side projects, uh, or my off time has been, uh, building a simple event store, uh, based on the implementing domain driven design sample project. Um, and I think it's pretty close. Uh, you've helped me out quite a bit, uh, with some of the, the trickier things with the follow store. Um, but I think it's coming along great. Uh, and then about the time that I was happy with it, uh, Matthias merged his pull request that added an event store to the aggregates package. And I'm like, oh, all this work has been pretty much for nothing. But um, it's, still, it's still highly unstable. Like, uh, he's pretty sure, like, I asked him, like, so what, what's the deal? Like, is this done? Is it good? And he said, well, the, the database scheme is probably solid now. But the rest of it's completely up for grabs. It may be renamed. It may be completely redesigned. It's, you know, it's bleeding edge. I, you know, I may change my mind on a whim and scrap the whole thing. It's kind of the impression that I get. Not that he would scrap the whole thing, but like it may be completely different tomorrow. So I don't think that my, my work has been completely lost. Um, I'm kind of, uh, pitching it internally in my own brain as a, uh, 
a naive alternative to whatever uh, event centrics event store is going to be because it looks like it's going to be pretty substantial. Um, what he what he has so far is like commit blocks and you know different things and contracts and whatever. Um, the, the event store that I'm building is pretty simple, so um, I don't I don't think it's going to be a problem necessarily to to keep working on mine at least for the time being and then someday migrate over or write some migration scripts to switch to uh, the event centric stuff or just you know keep using my stuff indefinitely. So it's pretty good. Um, since then, also uh, Harry. I don't remember if it's Harry or Hari. We'll have to ask. I, I need to ask him how to pronounce his name. Uh, it's uh, Harry KT is how I say it in my brain uh, when I when I see his Twitter handle. Um, he said, oh, hey, did you see this? And pointed me to a link. And immediately upon looking at the class structure, I realized that this person had ported the IDD sample project <laughs> pretty much exactly the same way I did um, to PHP. So uh, it's... Uh, Suin, S-U-I-N, and then the uh, GitHub handle is uh, PHP Event Sourcing. I don't know if that is uh, on packages or not. Um, and then I also found another package called Proof, P-R-O-O-P-H, uh, and it looks like it's another event sourcing. Like, that's that's the person's GitHub handle, um, but there's another event sourcing page, but that one doesn't have any stable releases. It's, it's still just a dev master, uh, but it looks like it's actively developed on um, and of course, there's uh, Benjamin Aberly's Light CQRS. Did you ever take a look at that? Yeah, extensively. Um, I I kind of gave up on it because um, Benjamin looks like he's halfway through a complete rewrite or complete refactoring, and it looks like it's just dead in the water. It hasn't been touched for several months. Um, if you look in the, there's two branches, and one branch is fairly sort of working. I wouldn't go. I don't know if it's you could be considered stable, but it's complete in terms of functionality, or a lot of functionality. Whereas the dev masters like missing significant portions of functionality that was available in the previous version. Uh, but yeah, I got a lot of inspiration from it, and I actually started to understand. It's probably one of my first sort of learning places for CQRS. Yeah, I, I asked. Uh... Matthias about that and I was like so did you check check that out and he said yeah it's uh and and then I remembered checking it out at some point but didn't really dive into it as deep as I have on anything lately and there was some reason that I I thought that it wasn't a viable option and um his response to me was basically that Benjamin has actually said that it's not meant for production and it was just for like like a demo or an experiment to try and see if he could get it to work so um you know, as much as I am really bad at, at not invented here and just rebuilding things from scratch, um, I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't jumping into something where if there's already a, a well-established CQRS or like event sourcing type solution in PHP, which I didn't think there was, and then I actually started doing more research and see all these other people at least starting projects, um, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going down a path where like I should be... I should just be following along with some other people. So, um, I felt a little better about that, that that pro that project, even though it looks pretty well thought out, it's not really, I, I don't think there's, there's much future in it. It doesn't sound like so. And then I remember, I think I'd remembered asking him about it at one point and he told me the same thing that it wasn't really something that he was going to do much with. So in all in all, I'm, I'm pretty excited about event centric so far. Um, 
looking at these other implementations, they look like more, um, they provide more concrete classes and like you're basically buying into their ecosystem and, you know, the base classes and whatnot. And I'm going to extend the, you know, event source root or event source aggregate root class. Um, I, I still really like how event centric is most is it's heavily based on traits and interfaces so that it should in theory be trivially easy to switch to another system if you really needed to. Um, not that that's even a, a super big deal, but as these projects seem to just die, <laughs> um, it seems to be pretty common with these, you know, CQRS projects, as far as I can tell, that they either don't get finished or die or, you know, just aren't well-maintained or not very well thought out or, you know, ne- don't get past a certain point where they're actually useful to people. Um, I, I think imagine, it's good to be able to, yeah. I imagine, I imagine there are a lot of um, specific implementations being used yeah. and people try and rip out a generic lib to make it open source or something and that's where it gets abandoned. Um, yeah. Do you, do you see what I mean? Like I imagine there's quite a few yep. people using something in production but not mm-hmm. a yep. lib that is readily available. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm mostly worried about like if I'm going to build a bunch of like I, I have probably three or four projects that I could build around something right now. And I need, and I kind of want to pick something to build it around. And, um, like I'm just trying to figure out if event centric is really what I should be basing it off of, or if I should make my own or whatever. But I, I kind of, I'm really fighting that not invented here tendency that I have in trying to get behind event centric, but I also don't want to be gated by it too much. Um, and so far it hasn't been a real big issue. But just little things like the fact that the aggregates package isn't on packages yet. Um, it was when it was a different name, and now it got renamed. And Matthias just removed it from packages because I, I opened a uh, <laughs> I opened a pull request or an issue that said, "Hey, the the package on packages is named wrong." So I my my hope was that it was going to get resubmitted with the right name, and the solution was, you know, oh, we'll just remove it from packages then. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, well now. I can't, I can't use it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I can, there's other ways to use it, but now I, uh, to track master is just, you know, I have to have local composer repositories and I don't know. I, I'm really hoping that it gets a little more stable and a little more something that people can base stuff off of. Uh, even though, you know, if it's a 0.0 release, sure. It's, it's unstable. It's alpha, whatever. Um, highly unstable. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that, but actually making it something that, can actually be used by people would be nice too. Like at a certain point, you got to commit to it, and um, it might still be too too early in the project. But then, what should I do? Should I be using something else? Uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, I want to talk a little bit about ConvertKit. I just want to mention it that I signed up for it. Um, it's, it seems to be everything that I want. Unfortunately, the the academy hit at a very bad time for me, and I think you tried to warn me about that. <laughs> you said, you know, if you're if you're actually ready to to write the content and do the work, then the academy is a good thing for you. And if you're not, then you might want to save your money and do it later. Um, yeah. So I I guess I'm ready to write everything. Um, just that the actual like the the live events that I wanted to be a part of, uh, there were some weird scheduling issues, like um. They went to my DFly dev email address instead of my normal Gmail account. 
So I don't have Google Plus or anything set up on my DFly dev. So uh, initially, like, it didn't go on my calendar because it came to the wrong address. I'm like, oh, okay. And I just sort of loosely looked at it and thought, oh, I should. I wrote him and said, hey, can you invite me to my other account? Um, which he did do, but he did it like 30 minutes before the event. And so I got the email while I was at lunch. I'm like, ah, oh, that was today. <laughs> um, and then the, the next one, the next week, um, I think he actually said on the during the talk, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do this again next Tuesday or whatever whatever day it was. And then in one year and out the other and was not on my calendar because it wasn't never was to begin with. So um, I got a like a last minute notice on that, too. So I clearly it wasn't on my mind enough that I was actually doing anything with it to to make those talks useful anyway but i totally missed the boat on it so i feel pretty bummed about that but it but um from what everyone else in the group was saying it sounds like it works pretty well and um i know that that was one of my initial reservations was buying into something without actually knowing it even works but um it seems like it works pretty well and it sounds like everyone else in the group uh was actually like starting to see progress already so um that's cool yeah, but, but the, the the one talk that I did have with him, like I, I managed to get in for a little bit of one of the talks. Um, I just have too many things that I want to do with it. Um, and I need to figure out which ones I want to work on, like be more focused. Um, so I'm having a little bit of analysis paralysis on deciding which things I should do, because some of them seem like they will lead to more useful leads for me. Um, and the ones that are useful leads are is the content that I don't know how, what to write. Right. The content that I know what to write, I don't really know what I'm going to do with those leads. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I guess any lead is a good lead, and having people added to your audience is great. But um, I don't see. I don't know where I'd even put those landing pages. Like I don't know where I would put those um, forms on which pages. Like I don't know where am I, where am I going to put that. So I I have two two classes of things, and I I don't know how to move forward. So I'm kind of stuck, and I need to get out of that. So hopefully. Hopefully by next time we talk, I can have a little more accountability on that too and um, provide like, hey, you know what? I got at least one new form and I have, you know, this many new people on my mailing list. Uh, speaking of mailing lists, I have a Dragonfly development mailing list and I have, I think you're one of three people on it <laughs> since I put it up in January. So um, I'm probably asking people to go to my mailing list and then I don't want them on that one anyway because I'm moving away from MailChimp, but uh, yeah, so clear, clearly the solution that I have now isn't working because, you know, I, I, I really only have like an audience of three people and I haven't written any newsletters because why would I, you know, why have I, why would I update three people? Um, so I'd, uh, all the, all the research and all the looking at, um, uh, mailing lists and trying to get audiences and giving people incentive to actually, you know, visit your site and give you, you know, their email address for something useful is great, but I haven't actually done anything with that yet. So it's, it, I think it's beyond time for me to actually do something. Well, at least it's moving. It's moving. Man. Yeah. Like you say, uh, some accountability may be good. Well, we'll see yeah. where we are in a couple of weeks. So I have one last question and then we can move on to, to whatever we need to from there. Um, it's about the command pattern. And in my head, I know the command object, I think it's command object pattern which I sort of understand, but I've sort of seen this more lately. And I think I've seen you talk about it uh, to a certain extent with like the command bus. Um, how does that relate to the interactor pattern? Because they, they sort of seem similar to me, but I don't 
I get the sense that they're somehow different and I don't understand it. And I haven't really seen many people talk about it. So I wondered if you could fill me in a little bit. Yeah. So I, I wonder if uh, patterns, which is not the right word. I mean, I, I, the command object pattern is really is that whole, it's encapsulating a, the pro, a process and the data required to run that pro, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. so you can pass it around, run it whenever you like. Um, the way people have been talking about it recently is less so, and, um, it's more about the command part of CQS or CQS, mm-hmm. CQRS, and a command being the data required or the, the command to run rather than, you doesn't usually encapsulate the, uh, behavior to run the command. Um, but yeah, in terms of the interactor stuff, if you're talking about the entity boundary interactor, like mm-hmm. you know, that pattern, um, it's exactly the same, in my opinion, as good as exactly the same, except there's no return value. And, you know, a command is a command that doesn't return anything. Whereas usually with those kind of interactor patterns, how I've seen and how I've implemented it, there's been a request and a response, much like you get with other APIs like HTTP API. And I use a mixture of both. Um, one of the things that put me off CQRS when I first started looking at it was I was convinced I had some use cases where a response was necessary even when mutating the object model. And that goes against CQRS. If you're going to, if something is going to mutate the or change state, then it is a command and therefore doesn't require a response or a return value. Uh, I definitely have those, or I feel like I do. Martin Fowler sites, um, array pop has been a classic example of something that both changes the, th- the state of the system and returns a value. There's no way around it. And so I tend to, I'm happy sticking with my interactor pattern type thing. I call them use cases and use cases always have request and response. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have a responder interface that you can pass in. Uh, which is a different way of getting values and notifications out of it. Uh, but in the same sense, when people are using commands like they do with CQRS, uh, domain events is one way of getting stuff out of the commands, you know. So it's not necessarily a return value, but you're getting to see what happened on what state was changed within the system that way. Uh, but yeah, that's the only difference I really, really see. So, so what is, um, like, I, I, what like structurally like what are what's what i think you i saw you had a command bus like is that just a what so, is that yeah so the bus thing is really um alluding to uh shoveling it onto a, a message bus and dealing with the sort of i mean i have it so that it can it can those can be run asynchronously or synchronously and in the sort of larger scale things like the the uh, .NET stuff they're running using uh, end service bus and I think some other things you you know go as far as to use big rabbit MQ installations and things like that and I but I mean to be honest it's all a bit much of a muchness for me I actually have a command gateway that has two options on it it has a send and a send and wait the send and wait would be run this synchronously I want to know when it's finished the other one would be send and it's a fire and forget and that gateway uses the command bus. And the only really usefulness I have for the command bus is to be able to de- use it to decorate. So I'll, 
you know, I have a command bus that actually works out what to run for, what code to run for this command. And then I have some stuff on it that does some logging. I close a doctrine transaction because I don't use any CQRS type, um, sorry, any event sourcing things. I don't have any bounded contexts. So I, you know, I don't have that aggregate boundary. Sorry, I should say aggregate root really around the bounded context. So I don't have, I don't know, I, I I don't know of one single aggregate route to maintain consistency. So I can't just uh, persist that aggregate route. I have to persist the whole object graph for doctrine, which I don't mind. I quite like it. Um, but other than that, um, the bus is kind of like a, it's just a name for something. I don't really, I, I maybe I don't understand it, but as far as I'm concerned, you shovel the command onto some sort of queue, whether that queue is in process or if it goes off to some sort of queuing infrastructure and gets dequeued later, and then it the command resolves to a handler. The handler runs the command, and I um I pass ack or knack back, and that's it. So the um the command bus is responsible for determining which handler runs. Well, I mean it is, but it. It's a separate, tiny little component that does that. So, okay. but yeah, it's okay, given so a command re- and it runs it as far as the calling code is concerned. Okay, so then you have a, a list. Of, you register a list of handlers, and they look to see uh, what which commands are coming in and whether or not they can execute that command. Mm, there's no polling or anything like that. Um, it's one to one. I do it based on the naming convention. Okay. So I take the Acme user suspend user command flatten that down to a essentially an ID in the container and expect the handler to be there. Okay. That's the way I've done it anyway. I mean, I, I'm I'm no expert anyway, but it's it's worked really nicely for me. It's um I've based a lot on the looking at the Axon framework, which is a Java CQRS framework. Um, okay. I've done sort of the Looking at the architecture, I've done my suboptimal, or say suboptimal, it's actually very optimal for me, but very basic implementation of what they do. Um, and it gives me a, a nice way to do things asynchronously. Uh, so rather than leaning on something like PHP Rescue or Bernard PHP or Laravel's queue, I've got this thing that's kind of part of my app and it also ties in nicely with that sort of nice application boundary rather than having an application boundary but also having this queue that's bolted on the side. So how do, how does that work with the controllers then? Like what what does the process look like to interact with those from the controller? So usually is get the HTTP request, get the data we need out of that instantiated command object, which is essentially a DTO. Pop it onto the command, well, send it to the command gateway. And then I make a choice at that point, depending on the type of action, um, whether I can do it asynchronously or synchronously. Um, I usually do things synchronously if I'm expecting the user to get forwarded to a page that I know is going to be influenced by the command that is about to happen. Or if I'm going to actually uh, query the read model after I've sent the command to to sort of uh, to look to see what was done or how things might have changed. Uh, and that's it, really. Nothing nothing too complicated. 
Okay. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm overselling it. Underselling. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, it, it, I've. It's it's not something that I've seen a lot in the past named explicitly, command. Um, and I, I you know I know that it's the the C and CQRS's command, but I haven't seen people talking about that. I've seen people talk about interactors and like the use case things like that, but I haven't seen too many people talk about the command specifically in his like named command. Well, I and think so that's. I, 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 I think it's a CQRS thing, um, but like you say, they're all approaching things in different. I actually thought about some sort of talk around this because, I mean, uh, there's Onion Architecture, Hexagonal or Ports and Adapters. There's EBI, DCI, Clean, DDD, CQRS. All these sort of architectures actually lend themselves to very similar. Sim, similar things. Maybe part, maybe DCI is a little bit different, but they're all sort of about building these boundaries and different ways of calling over these boundaries. Usually, and this is just another one. Uh, the the reason I started adopt, sort of adopted it was because of this, the asynchronous nature. Really, being able to, you know, serialize the command, dump it on the queue, and then dequeue it later and run it. Uh, you could do the same with the interactors, really, but those interactors generally have a response, and your code, yeah. if it's using them, is expecting a response, whereas the commands, it's quite explicit that they don't give you a response. Uh, you know, and if you go full-blown with this sort of things, and it can lead to some quite messy UI things from what I've read in terms of, you know, you're having to poll the read model to see if a command has been applied, or you're going to have to subscribe your ui is going to have to listen for domain events to see if your command has been applied in the way you expected and uh, you also going to you also got to get which happens anyway with these kind of architectures you've got to make sure the calling code generally to provide a better user experience the calling code has to do some validation first before sending that command because the command is you know it's some, I mean, I don't even think all do this, but um, some of them act and knack. And if it's putting it onto an asynchronous queue, you're really going to get an act or a knack. Did it get onto the queue? Okay. And then you might have to poll to get just to get an act or a knack to see if it was successful. Never mind before you're having to poll to see what happened and what changes were made to the actual uh, domain. So yeah, that can be quite tricky. But I thankfully I don't really have any sort of in-depth sort of scenarios where I might need that kind of thing. Or if I do, I'd just code around them. I'm more than happy to break my own conventions yeah. and whatnot to get around those things. Hence using the interactor pattern where I see it's suitable. I mean, something we use is... Um, so if you want to use see someone's personal details on our site, uh, we limit the amount of those... The, we limit the amount of those interactions you can do per day just to stop people people from uh, trawling our site and scraping everyone's personal information. Uh, so you're only allowed to do 10 per day. So to view those details, I need to be able to give you those details, but I also need to be able to record that you've done so. So to me, that's doing both the command and the query. It's The command is, you know, recording the state that you viewed that information and the query is viewing the information. So I, I model that as an interactor 
as one process rather than having a command that goes and then a query that goes if you see what I mean. Yeah. I don't think I don't think the calling code should be accessing the read model to get that information without uh call calling the command to say it's going to or to to record the fact that they are accessing that information and to have it through two separate interfaces as in here's your command to say you're going to do it here's the query you need to make it doesn't sit right with me i could of course the query the the read model could of course check but again i don't really know i don't like that idea so i uh, model that as an in a use case interactor with a in and out does that make sense yep yeah that makes sense so so you could probably use a command inside of a use case or inside of an interactor yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, in the DDD land and the CQRS thing, they have a thing called, are you familiar with sagas? Or process managers? Uh, sort of. Yeah, I'm not overly familiar, but I know of them in terms of their sort of orchestrate longer running things that require more than one command event, command event, uh, and passing of time as well. I mean, it's obviously that's something that's difficult for us to do in the process model of PHP, but you know, for the, the JVM and the, the .NET spread stuff, they can have sagas that literally say, you know, when this event happens, then wait three days and then do this. Or, uh, and you can model that as a saga, which means you're sort of collecting that stuff. And I like the idea of that. So in the same saga, you'd I don't know if it's um, process order saga would be, you know, would in- include receiving the order, taking the payment, um, when the payment gets picked, when the payment gets shipped. You know, you assume that when, so when the payment shipped domain event is uh, raised, then the process order saga will pick, will be listening for that event and will know to email the, the customer or whatever. And to model it as a saga is that one big in one place, I, I like the idea of that. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So rather than having, you know, listeners, separate listeners here, there, and everywhere, you've got one place where you can see the actual flow of events, even though it could happen over a series of days in different places at different times. So one one of the things that you mentioned earlier, you, you said that you looked at that, was it Axon Framework? Axon Framework, yeah. Yeah. Um I mentioned uh, when I was talking about the event sourcing stuff and I said that, you know, I thought my, my work there was a waste of time um, when the uh, when the event centric event store sort of arrived. Um, I really don't think it was. Um, I've learned so much digging through this code and writing this that it, I think it's super valuable to me, um, even though I didn't actually e- even if I never actually use it. Um, I think so, too. Yeah, I feel like I understand everything so much better now um, that if I were actually going to start using someone else's events store, I, I I feel like I'll understand the concepts better because I've seen behind the scenes how it actually works. So I think there's a lot of value in looking at other people's code. Um, I know that people say you shouldn't write frameworks unless you would just want to learn how to write a framework or whatever. Um I think that's true pretty much for every type of code <laughs> and any sort of like major dependency that you want to use. If you can look at it and better understand it, I think it's, I think it's good. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, like, I, I, I feel like I've learned things just discussing it with you. Um, every time we've, we've 
discussed even minor implementation details has actually usually mm, led to me googling looking at other implementations uh even in different languages which i'm i mean i'm i haven't looked at um java stuff for a long time uh, same yeah. with the uh, net stuff but because of the sort of um, popularity with cqrs and ddd and java and dot net land i've actually been looking at a lot more of that code and even that, even that's just opening my mind to things that, you know, the way things are run there and the way, the way that they do things is so different sometimes from the way we do things. I mean, we talked the other day about the threading and things like that. You know, there was comments in one of the implementations about, oh, you could probably thread from here. Um, we don't, we, especially in the PHP world, we don't we tend not to think about that too, too often. Yeah. So yeah. Um... Uh, all of this stuff just makes me feel like I've, I've learned a lot and I, I don't know I just feel way further ahead than I was even last episode um, as far as like understanding this stuff and I think it's great so, um, and walking through like even the stuff with you like there were things that I didn't quite understand why they were and just in talking with you I was like oh like I just had I had to basically tell you everything I know this is just typical rubber ducking stuff that I'm talking about but you're just walking through the implementation and you like you would say well why is that that way and I had to explain it to you and justify it and even though I hadn't written it originally and I was mostly just porting the code from Java like just having to like walk it walk through it with you I was able to say oh I understand exactly why this is now and now it makes sense and before it didn't so yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot over the last four weeks. So do you want to talk a little bit about the, the pair programming stuff? Um, yeah, we can do it. I mean, to be honest, we're running quite long. We probably won't be able to do yeah. any kind of justice, although I'm not entirely well, sure mean, how we much just we talk, can talk about it. Yeah, I mean, we could just talk a little bit about it. Uh, you showed me that cool tool and just the fact that, you know, you kind of consider that we've been doing some pair programming on the event sourcing stuff, even at a, a small scale, so... Yeah, well, I mean, definitely. Sort of we've been, most of our pair program has been sharing gists, uh, which we could probably have made. The problem is, it's really, the sharing gists the way we've been doing it is actually really nice for IRC because it's that, uh, latent discussion, isn't it? So, uh, paste a link and we'll come back to it later. Whereas the, yeah. to do some proper pair programming would actually be quite nice, but also it's, it would require our full attention for a period of time. But, uh, it pair programming, it's not something I've done loads of, but I really enjoy it when I do do it, and I do find it really powerful. Um, the tool we I talked about, I showed you, was... Um, so it's a bunch of tunnels, uh, or a couple of tunnels, just to make sure I can do it from wherever I am. Um, I set, I'm basically on port forwarding for one of my remote servers um, to an SSH daemon on my laptop. But um, the SSH user that I use for it, it's called Pair, is set up to, as soon as it connects, to automatically connect to what's a tool called Wemux, uh, a running Wemux session, which is uh, sort of uh, built up around Tmux and specifically for Pair programming to allow you know multiple people to control the keyboard. So it's actually really nice. So with one command, I can... Given a GitHub username, it pulls down the user's public uh, SSH keys onto my machine for the pair user. And as long as I am running a Wemux session, so uh, as long as I am set up ready to be to, to do some pairing, 
that person can then SSH to my machine and they present it with the, the screen that I'm looking at. And it's so much uh, nicer than uh, sharing a screen with Hangouts or something where you're just generally going to get... In, I mean, to be honest, Hangouts is great, I must admit, but there's always... It's never quite that nice, you know, in terms of screen, you know, text size. You know, if, if, if we all work at different sizes, don't we? All work in different fonts. And um, it's kind of nice using something like a uh, terminal with tools like that. So you can use your own programming fonts, you can use your own font size. And I think it's kind of cool. The only thing is uh, you'd be tied to Vim. And I know you don't use Vim, but uh, I'm sure you'd get used to it for that kind of thing if you oh, needed to. I'm actually pretty familiar with Vim. I've been using it since, I don't know, many, 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 many years. Oh, um, there you I, go. Then. Yeah. I, I used to be a really heavy uh, GVim user. I, my, my Windows machines always used to have Sigwin X and Window Maker. So I've been using Window Maker since the late 90s. Um, so I, I had a really good workflow where basically everything was on um, Window Maker. I had, you know, really specialized menu that I was like used to for like 15 years, 20 years. Um, and Xterm was just awesome. So I always had a Windows laptop with um, uh, uh, VMware on it. And so I, I would have Linux on Windows with X Windows open. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it was actually a really nice workflow for a really long time. Um, so yeah, I, I used to use GVM quite, quite, quite liberally. Um, so, but, yeah. So if someone's familiar with them, then the only thing you've got to maybe work around is people's uh, key bindings and things. But uh, yeah. But I think it's a really nice way to work. Uh, much better than Hangouts because it means both people can control the keyboard, and that's. If you look at the extreme programming sort of rules for pairing, that's one of the rules is that, you know, you take it in tends to drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I've actually tried to do this. Um, I've had two people that I've sort of worked to mentor in various capacities over the last year and, um, and just other people that I've tried to like work with, like if they want to show code or walk through code. And none of the tools have been very good. Like some of them seemed really exciting and really interesting. Um, but they, they just seem to fall down pretty quickly. Uh, probably the, the most interesting one that I've used was something called Flubits. Um, it seemed to be the most promising because um, it had a, uh, it was basically just a web-based UI. Um, and they had, uh, they had WebRT, uh, WebRTC, I think the video is. I could not get it to work for the life of me. Like the, the person I was mentoring just like, they could see me, I couldn't see them or, they could see me and not themselves or something like that. It just, it just never worked. So it was kind of a pain. And so, yeah, it, like something like this would be a lot better if, you know, they could just SSH somewhere and just, it would just work as long as they had SSH. And as long as they already had keys up on GitHub, it would just work. So I was pretty, pretty impressed when I saw you show me that. It's like, Hey, SSH here. So I, I typed SSH in and all of a sudden I was like looking at your screen and you were in the, that podcast uh, web ser- website directory. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, I didn't have to do anything. And it just SSH'd in and I can just do whatever I want to. This is awesome. So yeah, um, I, I, it sounds like a, a relatively hefty uh, setup process, though, if you haven't done it before. Like, are there good tutorials or yeah, do you I, have notes? Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm pretty much sure I followed mainly like uh, some blog post somewhere and I'd probably be able to find it quickly. I'm almost positive it'd be linked from pair program dot or pair program with dot me, which is a site that has quite a few resources for pair programming on. 
and it's on there. I mean, it's actually quite super simple if you just want to do it on your laptop. So if you have a fixed IP, because the, the more difficult thing is the tunneling. So being able to do it, you know, reverse tunnel to a remote server so that they're, they're SSHing into the remote server, which is then forwarding to your laptop. Um, just right. so, I mean, but if you've got a static IP for wherever you are, you can just have it obviously run directly to your uh, workstation which makes it a little bit easier. But it's not that difficult. It's literally just configuring your SSH config file. Nice. And setting up Wemux, which I'm pretty sure was in uh, sort of the OS repositories. I have no idea if it'd be on there. If it's in Brew or whatever it's called for Mac. I don't. I can't remember. I think it's pretty cool. I just don't, like I say, I don't get the opportunity to use it very much. Um, I use it occasionally with my... Uh, mentee on PHP mentoring uh, but uh, I'm going to start leaning on you a little bit more and, uh, and uh, bugging you for help I think and I think I might just uh, be able to fire that up for you. Yeah, nice that's cool um, When we talked about pair programming stuff one of the things we've both been looking at is AirPair um, which is a sort of a tries to match people up with it. It's a, almost like a premium pair programming thing. Uh, it's kind of like a on-demand uh, consulting for small jobs, isn't it? And yeah. We haven't, neither of us actually used it, but we've also been looking at it, haven't we? I um, mm-hmm. think uh, I really like the idea because I think you could get some, I mean, you might build some decent leads on there, as in, you know, it might lead to more the future work, but I also think you get some, maybe get some interesting little projects or uh, interesting insights into people's work and things, but yeah, sort of the jobs that are specific to me are fairly few and far between now, and the ones I have seen have been fairly low priced, and I'm not really ready to wage myself out at you know, slave labor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my my problem with it, um, when I first signed up for it, I, I was under the impression that um, it was almost like an invite only thing. And I don't know if it was just like early days of the setup process or what, but it looked like it dumped you off at a page that said, great, we will get in touch with you when we have someone that wants to work with you. Um, and I didn't have the impression that I had an account <laughs> or that there was any sort of dashboard. So when you mentioned it again the other day, I was like, oh, I don't even have an account, so I, I don't even know what to do. And then I went back and clicked login and I was like, okay, I'll just guess what my password is or i had to log in with github or something like that and i just tried it and brought me up to my profile i'm like oh well i guess i do have an account so i haven't done anything with it and didn't even know i could um i think one of the uh i think it was phil sturgeon but it might not have been um uh, probably six months ago or a year ago right around the time that i first started kind of seeing it uh pop up on my radar um i saw someone post well i signed up for AirPair. Uh, they didn't get back to me or there's nothing for me to do. So I guess I'm just going to do it myself or something like that. Something along those lines that like they, they'd, they'd been waiting for like a month or two to hear back if they'd been accepted. Kind of like I was, <laughs> you know, um, wondering, all right, well, I, I signed up for it. I don't think I have an account yet. I don't think I, I'm a member. I don't know what the deal is. So I guess I'm tired of waiting for this. Um, so I don't know if that was a technology fail on their part of like not letting the the people who are potential programmers or potential experts or whatever it is that you're hiring not know that they're even there. I don't know. It was kind of weird. So um, 
so yeah, it was kind of nice to to get hooked back up to it and kind of look at it and review my my expertise and kind of adjust my pricing based on the fact that no one wants to pay what we put down there so far apparently um, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah I mean uh, listening to texting it looks like they're, they're going to try and get the guy on to interview him so that'd be quite cool if they do yeah uh, but he's definitely going for the um, product validation route and you know low tech validating the idea everything was being done manually at the beginning so you know if they were getting requesting and he was manually searching through the people he might have or even going as far as to contact people who weren't on the site to say, look, we think you could do this. Could you come and do it? Um, but I mean, it's a. Uh, I like the idea. Like I say, there's no harm in me being on there, unless it, if I have to occasionally say I'm not working for that kind of money, then I'll I'll quite happily say it quite quickly in a few clicks. Yeah, it, but it's one of those things though. Uh, some people, I'm almost intrigued as to how it works. So I thought about doing the work for a low uh, rate, but then I was also thinking, well. I'm not even sure if I want to work with them if they can't really, if they're not even willing to sort of fork out the kind of money that most most people on that kind of that that kind of site should be expecting. You know, it's not Odesk or Elance where you're talking about trying to find someone, you know, more junior programmer uh, for a longer term project. This is supposed to be, you know, high level consulting for something advanced for a couple of hours to probably even talk about, you know, more strategic things. Uh, so people should expect to pay reasonable rates, I think. And if they're not expecting to pay those reasonable rates, you probably don't want to work with them. So, so yeah. But um, there's another guy, uh, Avdi Grimm, who's quite big in the Ruby world. He, uh, I think he was like doing paid pair programming for a couple of years now. So he was doing this kind of thing, but he was just doing it off his own back and you know his, his own reputation and things. And I think he had quite a lot of success with it. He was, I think he was doing one free session per week for open source and things like that, but generally was getting paid clients and uh, had some really good reviews and, you know, that uh, social proof of people who'd worked with him and they'd said a couple of hours after he changed my complete outlook on this project and I couldn't believe how much of a new, you know, how quickly he got, he understood my problem and led me down these things. And it's quite an interesting thing to do, you know, um, sort of that, that micro-consulting. I like the idea. Yeah. Um, just don't know. I'd need a bit more reputation to be able to do that kind of thing. I think you'll be able to get there soon. I mean, I don't know. You know how, how you've been doing some sort of mentoring and paid mentor. Have you done paid mentoring? Or? Yeah. And is that is it? Are you enjoying it? Or? Um, I am. Uh, it's been really hard. The schedules haven't been matching up very well lately. Right. So, um, we haven't done a whole lot. I don't think we've done anything in July. And part part of that's me uh, kind of flitting around the country. Um, but uh, a lot of that is their schedule as well. They're very busy. So um, I think that it's something that could be really good. Um, I have one client that I'm doing a lot of this sort of thing with where they're emailing me with, with questions and then I'm spending a lot of time you know, responding and kind of giving them some input on their code or kind of the direction they're going on. So um, that's been really good. I've been excited about that. Um, and, um, tomorrow actually is my first scheduled, uh, Dragonfly development exploration day. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I've, I got my first, uh, first sale on, uh, my first, I guess it's the, the productized consulting sort of thing where I kind of sold them on a, a package deal of, I'm going to go to your place for a day and talk with you, like kind of like a no strings attached. You don't have to work with me after this, but whatever we come with 
come, whatever you come away from uh, the meeting with, uh, you can keep and you can implement however you like. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Uh, it's my first big thing like that that I'm going to do where I'm just going to go on site for a whole day, uh, talk about you know their project and come up with uh, a good plan for them to move forward. Uh, their, their idea right now, I believe, is to uh, migrate a bunch of code from PHP. I think it's pre-PHP 5.3, I think. Um, and basically they want to get to PHP 5.4, PHP 5.5. So they want to find out the best, best way to do that. And also kind of put some stuff in, in place to, um, eventually migrate to, uh, one of the newer frameworks. So, um, I, uh, we're going to spend a day kind of looking at what they have, get a better idea of what their code looks like and sort of figure out a, a game plan. And hopefully they'll want to work with me to some, some degree after that to, either implement it or, you know, touch base with them once or twice a week to uh, kind of keep them on track and kind of give them more information. And all right, you know, if you, you made it here or you're having these problems. These are the things you can do next. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's my, my big excitement, exciting thing for this week is to uh, go take care of that. That is cool. I, uh, I meant to tell you something. So you just reminded me again, um, a former colleague, uh, a guy, a guy I worked with when I was at Sky, I'm, He's a he's he's really big uh, sort of CSS expert. His name's Harry Roberts. Um, he has a, a Inuit CSS was a little CSS framework that he wrote, but he's he's really good at that. He's just pure front end stuff, and I mean pure front end HTML CSS. I don't for a long time. Uh, he was I don't even know he has picked up any JavaScript now, but he literally was didn't care for that stuff at all. He understood what was required of some of the markup and CSS for the JavaScript side of things, but he didn't do programming and that kind of programming. And, but he, uh, um, he left Sky, um, not too long after I did, but quite a while. He stayed there for quite a while and he went to do freelancing and I went on his website the other day and it completely changed, but he is, he's done a really good job of the, um, of marketing himself as a freelancer. And he's got a few of those, uh, productized, consulting services um, mm. and I just started looking at the site it looked really good and I was act- I actually meant to link you up uh, to have a look at it nice. uh, I'll put it in the show notes but obviously I'll send you the link after the show as well to, to look at cool uh, but he's got that kind of uh, exploration thing um, you know a set price yeah. one day he's going to look at everything you're doing you're going to get a report at the end of it and uh, stuff like yep. that and I think it's a really good idea especially you know for it's a really good idea for companies to use but also a really good idea for consultants to be advertising and yeah uh, offering yeah yeah i i think that i think that especially you know we're you were talking about like the the higher price consult like short-term consulting things like for air pair um i think that there is a lot to be said for people being nervous about saying okay do i really want to bring this person on for this high hourly rate indefinitely uh, when they haven't worked with you at all and if you can offer them something where you know, they know exactly what they're going to get, and they know exactly what it's going to cost, and then they're that then they're they're not, you know, under any obligation to do anything after that. I think it makes I think it would make it a lot easier for people. At least that's the the theory that I'm operating under, and as far as I can tell, it seems to be uh, something that other people are doing effectively as well. So um, I, I was pretty excited that that's going to happen. Um, actually, I. Um, I think I, I think I might have mentioned that I had a couple of leads from tech, uh, PHP tech. Uh, there were two two people that I actually talked to that I um, wanted to try and work with 
uh, see if they wanted to work with me. And um, one of them's gotten back in touch with me after however many months this has been. It's like two or three months now. Um, I emailed them um, right afterwards, and I didn't hear anything back. And I emailed them again uh, like a month ago. I didn't hear anything back. And uh, just out of the blue, I got an email. I'm like, oh, yeah, by the way, we haven't forgotten about you. You know, would you be uh, – they're actually wanting to see if they can uh, schedule it around PHP World. So I'm going to be, like, within 40 minutes drive of them at PHP World. So uh, they're like, yeah, you want to come around PHP World time? So I'm like, sweet, yeah, sure. <laughs> so that could be another uh, – that, that could be the other uh, cases of me being able to get these uh, exploration days as, as sort of something that people are interested in. So that, that I think I got that news last week. And I was like, ah, sweet. So these people haven't forgotten about me. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. Definitely. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm excited to uh, hear about your first uh, exploration day and how it goes. Yeah, nice. Well, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it too. So I'll, uh, I'm sure I'll fill you in, but we'll maybe talk about it a little bit on the next episode as well. Well, I mean, I was actually thinking sometimes we uh, we probably speak too much sometimes during the week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we we kind of we we kind of discuss everything, don't we? As we go, um, yeah. And I think sometimes some of the stuff we could discuss on the show, uh, yeah, we we've already burnt out a little bit in IRC, so maybe yeah. I'm going to start trying to save something. <laughs> well, I, I saved the command pattern for you. So yeah, I didn't ask you about that. I, I thought about that the other day. I'm like, I'll just ask him about that. I'll drop that on him. So, uh, speaking of which, uh, it looks like we're at a new record for our recording time. Yeah, we so, should uh, call it, it quits. It was pretty funny actually watching you uh, giving it giving us nighttime there earlier. You know, I, I could see you pretty well, and then also like at a certain point, all I could see were the reflections of your your uh, terminal screens or your browser screens in your glasses. <laughs> yeah, um, what makes it worse is before we before we started recording, there was a I could hear some electrical noise, and I was oh, like, yeah. oh no, I gotta I've got to find out what that is before we start recording. So I've literally unplugged everything on my desk, including my <laughs> desk lamp. So I can't even tell. So I've actually opened, I've actually turned on a light in another room and just pushed the door open so that there's a faint glow. Uh, nice. Kind of atmospheric, yeah. Well, yeah. Beck's been down here. Uh, she's been packing a bit more. Uh, so I'm sure that we've picked up some shuffling of boxes and whatnot while she's been wandering around down here. So this would be a, a, a fun one for the... Uh, all that editing you did yeah we'll see yeah cool alright well uh, did you have anything else no i just say uh, bye bye to everyone and thanks Bo and uh, I'll let you uh, call it like a show right. cool alright sounds like a wrap You've been listening to That Podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com, spelled G-R-I-L-L-O.